Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast. I'm your host, Richard Spanners Ready. Welcome to the show. We are an independent podcast produced in the podcasting shed with the kind permission of our better halves. We aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first. I'm also joined by Matt Two Rumpets. Hello there, Matt. How are you, sir? I'm doing quite well. And yourself? Yes, yeah, good to be uh, back in the shed for our first news panel show live to our live stream of 2022. A slight difference in the introduction. Unfortunately, it seems like we are losing our battle to keep our original theme tune. So we're trialing out uh, some alternatives. And that was from... Uh, Pete Shilcock in our community. And we have uh, a few other submissions and permission to go through music libraries from within the Missed Apex community. And I'm going to try them all out over the next uh, few weeks. And I think we're I think we're going to be spoiled for choice, Matt, although it is going to be very hard to to replace the pow. But uh, there will at least be one more occasion where we'll play out with that. Okay, I like that. Um, and, and of course, I note with glee you've not yet asked me for permission to use any of my recordings that I used to use for the Tech Times. Well, we've had lots of uh, suggestions that we should go to dubstep or modern electric or lots of people have said, why not have trumpets do it? But I, I want to stick with rock slash metal. I like that energy. So it'll be something in and around that. We're not going to change too much. Fair enough. I can I can get behind that. Okay, uh, we're also joined in the shed by one of the OG Missed Apex crew. It's Chris Stevens. Hello, Chris. Hello, Spanners. Good to be kicking off 
the new live year here on YouTube. Yeah, and it's been good news for me. I hated last season where we had so little access to you and so little access to your time. Uh, but we're hoping that for good reasons, because you are embedded somewhere brilliant for your professional career now, that we, we will have you on a few more shows and maybe even the odd race review. Yeah, that's certainly the plan. My 2022 has suddenly freed up uh, quite nicely and uh, hoping to dedicate a little bit more of that time to Missed Apex. Absolutely fantastic. And from Copenhagen, we've got Christian Pedersen joining us uh, in the shed. You look like you're in a, a dark photo shoot studio ready to just give us some blue magnum, Christian. That's just normal Sunday for me, you know. That's just how that's you how, That's our stains, you know, Spanners. <laughs> uh, Christian, I like you. I, you seem nice. You seem smart. But I definitely get a vibe off you that you have committed crimes. How much of a liability are you really to Miss Apex? I would say currently I'm I'm pretty pro-COVID, so not a liability right now. I, I actually once was arrested. Oh. Um, it was... it. It was on my 16th birthday, and my parents was waiting with dinner with my friends, and my friends knew I was doing a bit of graffiti from time to time. <gasps> no. And on that particular day, it was just such, it's a long story, but we ended up in uh, in jail. What what do I say? My number one rule for uh, for appearing on Missed Apex podcast is don't commit, don't admit to committing crimes, guys. Let's go to the big dirty news before any of you are arrested. Okay, that's it. Making waves in the news, actually, Matt. It it kind of wrote the show notes itself, taking all the credit away from you for writing the show notes. Uh, But the McLaren team statement from Zach Brown was quite the thing. And my goodness, if he wrote that himself, he's quite quite the writer. There was a certain element of TLDR to it but it certainly gave the F1 media and content creation space a lot to talk about and um, will give us a lot to talk about. Yes, well, I mean, I have to say, I've seen one publication make at least five different stories out of the one statement. (laughs) And uh, it was interesting because he commented not only on the the controversies at Abu Dhabi, but uh, a lot of stuff that we have been talking about and has been percolating all the previous season. Um, but the biggest thing, and I, I think I know this is kind of an interest to you, is he was very negative about the uh, teams uh, wanting more money for the sprint races than they're already getting. Okay, well, well, when you say negative, he wasn't being negative about the sprint races themselves, but we have seen other reports that the sprint races might be under threat. I know, such a shame, uh, because teams are saying, well, well, we need extra money in case... We crash. There has to be some funds there. So Zach Brown isn't coming out and saying we shouldn't do that. He's actually criticizing the the teams wanting more money or or just making clear it's unworkable at at the moment. Well, what he's making clear is that the FIA has already there was extra money available in the budget last year for the sprint races. And there is planned to be again for the coming season. But the quote-unquote top teams, and he does not name any more names than that, so I'll leave it to your imagination to to pick the team you like the least or most, depending upon your sprint race views, <laughs> and wants a significantly larger amount than the FIA has suggested. And that is a potential problem, because without the mm. permission of enough teams, there will be no sprint races this season. How much did Ferrari want? Um, the rumor for one team was they wanted an extra five million, 
so yeah, versus I think it was about 2.65 if you did all the math uh, from the FIA offer. And his thing, and I think he's absolutely correct about this, is he says, look, this is just the top teams trying to drive a hole in the cost cap because they don't want to they don't want to have to budget anything. They want to be able to do all the developing they want to do. But once you start to getting these numbers, you start leaving the small teams behind again. And why have a cost cap at that point? Yeah, sadly, it sounds like another situation of the teams running Formula One. And this is a very interesting time for Formula One, the FIA in in general. How is the new FIA president going to stand for this? Might he intervene? Uh, This is purely speculation at this point, but I would hate to see another scenario where the teams are trying to run sport and Formula One lets them get away with it. The thing is, Christian, that was a lot of the Zach Brown comment was about teams having too much power. I'm not sure if he's he's driving a narrative. Maybe sort of. Uh, we talked about this before we started broadcasting. Just a tiny bit, Chris and I. Is this a Mercedes narrative? He's. Uh, yeah, it is a Mercedes engine, as, as Chris said. There's no badge on, and that is true. I agree totally with Matt and Chris, but uh, I also want to mention that the 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 rules the, the in 2021 was like a test. So if if you put all the money together, they would originally get paid extra for doing the sprint braces and put them all together. The, the, the new amount of sprint braces, you would get, get a certain amount, which would be much higher. And I think the 5 million is about like the doubled of that. So it, it's, it's sort of like, a, it's not just like saying we want what we agreed upon. It's like we want what we agreed upon plus double. So it's it's kind of strange move, actually, I think. Yeah, well, it's, again, you know, if you take him at his word, if you take him at his analysis of the situation, it it is the top teams just trying to wedge extra room for their own development, not wanting to give up their competitive advantage that they have due to money. And um, I I know that we differ about the sprint races a bit, (laughs) but um, he, he says that if you look at the numbers from a business point of view, sprint races were an unqualified success. And I know that makes everybody irritable and unhappy and angry because of how it affects the championship. But on the other hand, bankrupt F1 is also bad. (laughs) True. So Matt's absolutely right. From a business point of view, it makes absolute total sense in the way it kind of energizes an entire Grand Prix weekend and puts things of real value on every day of a Grand Prix weekend, which for the people at the race is a fantastic thing. Um, I know we've talked a lot about how it hikes up the prices for a Friday ticket, the effect it has on broadcasting, et cetera, et cetera. But at the end of the day, if it makes good business sense, then that's what Formula One is going to try to do, unless the teams cannot agree on this extra five million, in which case it will be bye-bye to the sprint races. And that is going to have quite a big impact on the season because that's not only you know points for the season but it's also mileage it's changes the way you approach those six grand prix now i really really hope they can't agree a price because i hate them so much when they when they showed the tv figures chris i was like i was so disappointed because yeah it did show yeah the friday was bumped up the saturday was unaffected so that's tv numbers that is bums on seats that is hard data the the you know that our our pleas of our purity of the sport will be completely 
ignored, basically. But I, I did feel also that there was a, a novelty factor and that they wouldn't have published those figures if it had gone another way. And if we'd have had eight or ten sprint races last season, maybe would have seen a, a drop-off on that. So I, I'll go to Christian first. Is like I, I feel like the, the cards were always going to be stacked in favour of, of, oh, look, the sprint races are brilliant for F1. But the, there's... Uh... I don't really understand why the teams are not interested in the extra power you gain from the sprint races. Because, as Chris just said, it totally vitalizes the entire weekend by having the qualification on Friday night. You suddenly have three days of racing. Yeah, it's a bit meh on Saturday, but you still get the extra exposure. So it might be a little bit more expensive to drive, and I agree they should get more money for the extra kilometers but I don't get why they want to work against it. I think as well, I, I'm still very undecided on the whole sprint race format. Maybe I'll have drawn a better opinion about it by the end of this year. <laughs> but the sprints themselves were not fantastic. I think we're all agreed on that. But the three sprint race weekends all had pretty amazing Grand Prix themselves. Now, whether there's a direct correlation between the two, I, I don't know. But certainly Monza wouldn't have shaped out the way it did without the sprint, for example. Matt. And I love the idea that all the sprint races were Matt. Am I the only one who remembers Lewis Hamilton in Brazil? Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, hang on, hang on a minute. So you're saying if like some random disqualification from a test from a wing that they never got to see and inspect, by the way, that Verstappen manhandled. I'm only joking. I'm only joking. But it took that very dramatic and quite rare thing to happen on a race where Mercedes look massively dominant. If that same penalty had happened to Vettel, it wouldn't have been so spectacular. And in fact, if that had happened to Hamilton earlier in the season on that same track without the engine advantage that they had, it also would have fallen flat. So that was that was a perfect storm. I'm not using Brazil as a as a, a way to say that the sprint races were brilliant. The Mercedes engine and Lewis Hamilton's masterful overtaking made that sprint race brilliant. Naturally, that would have been a dead rubber, much like anything else. Look, Matt's fuming, hands up everywhere. So let's go, Matt, Christian, Chris. I'm just laughing because to me, it's like lottery tickets. The more of the things you have, oh, the more likely you yeah, are to get yeah, those yeah, scenarios yeah. that are so exciting. I mean, it is it is a bit genius. But the bad news, I think, for you is that the sprint races won't go away forever. They'll only go away this season, and then they'll be voted in through the WMSC, and then that'll that'll be that. The teams can hold them up only this season. So... The question is, how much influence do you really want to have? And we might just be seeing some very high stakes poker playing right now from the top teams trying to get every advantage they can. Um, I, I, uh, Chris, can you take it? I just <laughs> I had to turn down my mic. I got a bit confused. Oh, no worries. Well, I think Spanners is right in that that perfect storm created uh, the Brazilian Grand Prix weekend. Sorry, the Sao Paulo Grand Prix weekend. Uh, and I think even if it was Bottas who was put at the back of the grid, it, it, it wouldn't have shaped out the way that it did. And uh, it's 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 a team play. It's a play by the teams to weasel a little bit of extra money out of it. And I think they need to stamp this out as quick as possible. The only thing lagging is for the Saturday to mean something. It has to. You have this. You have this feeling after the sprint race that it's like. So, yeah, well, that's just how they start tomorrow. So, yeah, 
that was nothing. If it means something, then they can get away with it. Does that mean more points? I'm not sure if it's points or could it be... And I'm, I haven't cracked it. Mm. I haven't cracked it. Yeah, well, more points is what they're discussing. Uh, personally, and I know that everyone disagrees with me and tells me it wouldn't work. But for me, like the idea that the Sprint Championship would be its own championship with its own prize and its own money would be the best solution. Because you don't affect the Friday, you know, but that's just me. And clearly yeah. everyone on the panel disagrees with me based on the looks on their faces. No, no, I've got one practical suggestion, and that would be to take sprint races and burn them with fire. We don't need them. They add absolutely nothing. Fridays in Formula One are absolutely fantastic for the type of fans that love them. If you want to make a short-term profit by boosting the TV figures, but ultimately making the sport worse, you're just milking the cow. Get rid of them, throw them in the sea, End of rant. I think the cynical point of view would just be, well, you need this money to, in case you crash, just don't crash. Yeah, you could try not crashing. All right, let's move on. Oh, Christian, go on. I was just going to add, you could have two races on a weekend, two full races. No, that wouldn't be a disaster. Two full proper races, what, with two proper qualifyings. But again, like, have we ever needed that? Friday's Lately, really cool. It, Friday's super chill. Saturday has got an exciting qualifying and then sunday's got the race i, d I don't understand could, what's broke you could say in bahrain you did the two different tracks in you could do two different tracks in in Maunikur. you could do 140 different tracks the the grand prix could last like half a year yeah that's true. i'm and, just throwing things up in the air here. yeah and uh for the monaco grand prix you could do one race at barcelona <laughs> and then you could do race two at monza couldn't you chris you're seeing a glass half full here spence <laughs> chris I, I will disagree on your stance on the Fridays slightly because Fridays are great for people like you and me, yeah. but we're a minority of the fan base. No. And from the business point of view, it doesn't make sense, does it? Why can't they accommodate, just accommodate exactly what I want? Stupid F1. All right, Matt, what else uh, came out of the Zach Brown diaries? Well... It you might not be surprised that he had some complaints about the stewarding and inconsistencies Ooh. of the stewarding as well. Yeah. I mean, Matt, cast your do you, have you seen the, the junior series races, the formula, is it formula Asia that was running today? It was an, I think it was F4 something, but yeah, I did Chris see that Chris lovely overtake. Yeah. So there were two things in Abu Dhabi uh, this weekend. There was uh, F4 UAE and uh, formula regional Asia, which is right. like a regional, F3. I've only caught a few clips of that, but there was a, a big, very cops-esque crash, actually, very similar to the Verstappen-Hamilton crash, but with three cars. And and there was three cars, but they were all, like, squeezed into two and a half car widths trying to get to the apex. And, and it's all because somebody saw a big runoff area, planted <sighs> the throttle mid-corner, and went 20 metres off the track, and decided, oh, I'm not, I'm not going to back off when I yeah. when I rejoin and make this three wide scenario, which was uh, really ridiculous, um, to be honest. And uh, to be honest, a lot of the the decisions made. I mean, wasn't there like 37 penalties handed out after the F4 races oh, for things like crossing pit lane lines, which they didn't tell the drivers about, and 
silly things like this. Overall, it's not been a great. No, and I don't, I don't, I don't know the cars there, but there was a, a Red Bull car, coloured car on the outside, and a red car on the inside, and he was run off track. The, the red car ran them off track in a very Brazil turn four kind of way, and there's, there's been comments on social media that well, the drivers are looking to F1, and actually. As I said to Chris Medland last week, the drivers now need to start driving like Verstappen. And it looks like in the junior formula, they are. It filters down. If they see it in F1, they're going to they're gonna do it. And to survive in F1, they might need to continue doing it. And it would just be resolved if there was a natural deterrent on oh, the yes. edge of racetracks. Like we've been trying to get this to happen for years. I'm not saying it needs to be all gravel, but there needs to be something <laughs> to the immediate edge of I the know. track that stops you just using runoff like that. Shortly after we started championing it, about six years ago, Karun Chanduk started championing it. And so now it definitely seems like his idea and we're ripping him off. But we'll agree, which is you have a, a certain amount of grass or astroturf just off track. Then after that, you can have all the runoff you want because you will already be be penalised, Chris. So, yeah, that, that kind of natural deterrent might do that. But also, you're still going to get to the point where you have someone running another car off into the natural deterrent. And as it stands at the moment in F1, I think that would be allowed in most of those scenarios. So the stewarding needs to be consistent. But at the moment, it's consistently in the favour of those drivers who don't mind pushing people off track and there's loads it's not just Verstappen it's Hamilton has done it too Leclerc was doing it in 2019 uh, we saw Alonso and 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 Kimi Raikkonen doing it at various points as well but only for a bit of the season because don't forget Austria when Norris was penalized for doing yeah. uh, that exact same thing to Sergio Perez if I remember rightly so yep. I agree this 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 inconsistency is, yeah. is maddening yeah and the, the the only way I can think of fixing it is to have a consistent steward. Now that okay, so lo- loads of people in the the chat have, have have been have preempted your comment there and say uh, you know it wasn't allowed in Austria. And then an argument there is well in Austria there was a, a natural deterrent in the runoff uh, in that corner, but later on in the lap uh, in one of the where it's the left left in the infield, also it was punished to push drivers off to the outside. And then that might be down to the fact, maybe, Matt, that it's different stewards at, at different weekends. And we, we really, as fans, we cannot play you are the steward. That game is impossible. We cannot know week to week what decision the stewards are going to make. And, and that's a big problem correctly identified by Zach Brown. Yeah, well, and, and this is his call to help with the consistency is to have the same stewards or the same rota of stewards at the event. So, yeah, like in American baseball... Each umpire might have a slightly different strike zone, but once you've played with that umpire, you know where that strike zone is and you know exactly what you're going to get in terms of decisions. And I look, the way the stewards are chosen has always to a certain extent been um, political favoritism. They, They come from the nations. They come from the automobile clubs that support the FIA. It's a it's a. It's an honor to be a steward. And they were always handed out a bit that way. And that's because that's how F1 came up. That's how it was in the old days. But F1 as a modern sport, as a multi-billion dollar a year enterprise, simply needs to get with the times and professionalize the people who make the judgment calls 
so that there's some consistency and accountability across the board. And I think, Christian, there's going to be considerable pressure to do something. So the new incoming FIA president has to be looking at, at everyone across the board. Everyone is saying that the stewarding is inconsistent. You, you've got to feel like change is, is, has got to be coming. And if it doesn't come, it would be bizarre. So I think there's a lot of uh things moving in the direction of something being possible of change with a new president and the way the pressure keeps building and actually also the timing of uh, Zach Brown's comment here because we are like in the dead water of news in Formula One this time of year. Yeah. Uh, the only thing we get is like a teaser for the the car release in a few weeks' time. That is it. So him making this statement now and making it so so square and so black and white is uh, is a sign that within the paddock at least from my point of view there's, there's there might be a muscle now to make a change but uh, uh, just as uh, as chris was saying I- i'm pretty sure we need some 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 uh, folks people can trust i'm going to suggest maybe something like uh, i would say nico rosberg is a fairly unbiased uh, ex driver who knows a lot um uh, and if you if you uh, i have uh, i know I have it's very com- very dangerous I, I, to throw names in there but okay i have comments on that if we want if we want to start if we want to start having a segment of who do we think would make brilliant driver stewards we can we can have a conversation so let's do it let's, let's do we, it. Can, we can do that uh, where does that where does that leave us matt because when i spoke to when we spoke to chris medlin last week yeah I, I said is this just a continuation and actually chris seemed very positive that no the vibe I got was basically, no, there is some change coming, but he's not going to rock the boat immediately. Yeah, well, the thing you would begin to see is is more, like, they have the driver steward already. So you could see people coming from F2 and F3, race directors from other series, and having just one guest steward or two guest stewards so that they're, they are diluted and that you have... You know, of the four, three stewards, four stewards, I don't remember how, that you have two or three that are are going to Mm. be people who do all the races, and then maybe just one guest person who's part, still part of the weekend. Okay, so uh, EJ in our live chat. Hello, live chat. Our patrons have uh, jumped into our live chat there. Support us at patreon.com forward slash mistakepex. EJ has said uh, in in Gran Turismo, this will upset some people, they, they have it sorted with one or two slow down zones where the car slows down automatically. And look, I know people are going to get upset with the video game solutions, but iRacing has a solution where if you take that off track, you then have to serve. It's very it's automatically given to you. You take a shortcut or you run wide in certain zones and it will say you must lose 1.2 seconds in the in the next lap. And obviously don't do that by just slowing down in front of Lewis Hamilton. Uh, sorry, just slowing down in front of the other car and uh and I, I think these electronic solutions are probably gonna eventually be the way forward chris anytime i mention it people go oh you can't just slow down on a, a track but if you have for example an electronic solution where you lose 10 percent of horsepower when you go off track the car behind you that goes off track also loses 10 percent of horsepower and you get it back the second you go on track and, and these electronic solutions they're not technically hard this is not new science. This is not new engineering. Why not just apply it to the most technologically advanced motorsport on the planet? So my issue with the slowing down thing is that it, I, I just envisage this scenario where you're going to have somebody right up the backside of someone yeah. 
who will get the slowdown and will just be rear-ended. Yeah, no, because if you're, the, you know, no, because if you to rear-end them, the car behind would have to also be off track and therefore not also get the slowdown. Not necessarily. No, I'm saying if you're off the track, that's when you get the slowdown. So to hit that car, you also have to be off track. But it, well, okay, I don't see that panning out the same way because eventually they've got to come back on track and we'll probably still be slowing down. The problem of people exceeding track limits. Is, is is not really a problem when they decide to enforce the rule properly and just delete the lap time when they go over the white line. It's, it's simple to do because they have yeah, the GPS it, it, That doesn't have any effect it. during the, the problem... race. It doesn't have any effect during the race. No, and I just want to say, like, get... oh, yes, they've got to come back on track at some point. Yes, it's your responsibility to rejoin the track safely, as it always is. You come off track, something's going to slow you down. You need to rejoin the track safely. Well, you do it. Yeah, okay. You do it three times, you get a penalty. But the issue is the things like contact and, and running people out of road, which is the bigger issue for me. Uh, sorry, I'm I'm actually kind of with spanners on this one. I, I'm like imagining in my head the dialogue, race engineer, oh, they've just deleted your lap time. Driver, oh, tragedy. Oh, okay. no. <laughs> oh, no. I won't let that happen again. Well, when it happens in Q3, then it will matter. Yeah. No, no, for qualifying, that does sound like a good solution. Christian, you were trying to get in earlier. Uh, the, the way they do it uh, when you have to recharge in Formula E, you have to go on. Is it like a recharge? Uh, the attack mode. Yeah, the attack. You have to choose a different line to, to validate the attack mode or something like that. And uh, they have to go on a wider route around the track. And it's so easily done in a hairpin or something like that. Just extend the track. And it's it's much more fairly than a drive-through or 10-second or because it's up to the driver to do it in, in an appropriate way. So MotoGP uses the long lap, which is, you know, just a similar kind of principle, really, and is probably the solution. Matt? Sorry, I was laughing. I'm just imagining the hairpin of shame. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, people making comments. There's a lot of comments around the the danger of it. Taking control from the drivers is too dangerous. But honestly, with engine mixes and the way they control the different axles of the car it's it's not like a a go-kart and you're just slamming the brakes on it on track as you're imagining like i have i have some limited engineering experience and it really is technologically not as difficult as people are making it out christian i think the real problem uh, of course we need to talk about the, the stewarding and we need to talk about the process from the director and stuff like that but the real issue here is it's a closed environment. So when they do something as wrong as in Abu Dhabi, you can't really question it. And if you can't question it, where, where, what are you left with? You, you're basically left with like a system where, where let's compare, let's compare Fettel driving into Hamilton in Baku, just randomly on the side, just pulling into him. When did have, he do ha- dangerous driving? When? When did he do dangerous <laughs> driving? That should have been a clear red card, and that yes. would have been a clear red card in every football match. Yeah. So, and and you cannot have. And later, he used the f bomb towards Whiting yeah. uh, in in Mexico. That should have been a clear red card yeah. as well. As well as uh, uh, I'm just gonna say it first up in, in Qatar. That should have been a clear red card. Uh, okay. Uh, yes, I agree with uh, pretty much all of those. So you know, foot, if you want to compare it to football, David Beckham versus Argentina in the second round of the World Cup. Twenty, I don't know. You know, he got he got the red card. He got sent off. England got knocked out. the 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 ruling behind that is retaliation, and anything that is is deemed aggressive like that. Yes, you can drive and compete aggressively, Christian, 
But when it becomes that kind of flash to bang, when it's a, a temper, uh, temper driven action that's not sporting like Baku, yeah, I think if you if you did just start just red carding drivers, black flagging drivers for that, it would cut that out. To, to be fair, it's not been a huge, huge problem in F1, that kind of retaliatory driving. And it's not. We're never really discussing the black flags because the black flag is unusual and it yeah. should be unusual. But we're discussing like, is that a yellow? Is that not a yellow? <laughs> is that maybe that is two yellows? And we're discussing that all the time. And in football, actually, if you get a wrong yellow, you can get it cancelled. So uh, if you have like a match ban, that would get cancelled, so you can get to play again. You, of course, yeah. you can't change the match, but you have like somewhere you can go with your appeal or your. Your case, and that is what we're missing here. There's there's nothing left if FIA just says no. Yeah, and I think okay. So you use Abu Dhabi there as an example, and the fact that they kind of shut down the appeal, and it looked like there was. I, I'm I I can't imagine there wasn't some background negotiations and concessions for Mercedes dropping the appeal. But it's not it's yeah. not that appeal I'm talking about. It's oh, okay. it's, it's Mercedes not uh, going forward with the appeal because the, they would lose anyway. Okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, so same thing we are talking about there. Um, in that specific scenario, F1 just had so much to lose by by honouring the appeal, by backtracking it, by conceding in any way that that result wasn't legitimate. They're essentially, you know, they're saying, well, "Oh, the result wasn't legitimate." Okay, can we change the result? Can we invalidate the result? Ah, uh, no, we're not going. It puts them in too hard a position. So, for that particular case, they doubled down and tactically. I see. I see why, uh, but Matt, the general kind of appeals process seems to be a little broken as well because the the whole Brazil appeal, where they couldn't even uh, the appeal itself was rejected, yeah. they wouldn't even hear the appeal again. Yeah, and to me, this is where you start to get a better return on your buck with consistent stewarding, with professional stewards with agreed upon interpretations of situations because you're not blinded to what the outcome is going to be. Um, and you know, the rules, it may not be a level playing field, but you know, the playing field that you're on. And right now the, the way the FIA has always worked, and I, I, it, this is my interpretation of it is they will be wrong. They will know they are wrong. They will never admit they are wrong. They will just quietly fix it sometime down the road without admitting ever doing anything wrong. And for a fan and for a sport, because to make sport fun, there has to be a, an element of fairness to it. It is the most frustrating of all things. Look, I don't mind if you tell me, oh, you know what? We looked at that more carefully and we decided that was a bad, yeah. you know, that wasn't a correct decision because it was taken in the haste of the moment. And it said, we decided that sets a bad precedent. So we're going to do X, Y, and Z about it. I would much rather have that than what we have right now. And I just hope that this process that's underway leads us down that path a little bit. Chris Stevens at Chris on Racing. There he is. I've put his face up. On the live stream, look at his look at his little face. We forget how young he is, little Christopher. You were seventeen <laughs> when you started doing Mr. Apex podcast, and yeah. you were writing articles. You're a very very good writer. You've moved into the world of of PR, and you're settling into a new role. And and I'm sure once you're more settled in, uh, you'll know the lay of the land in your new role, and you'll be able to talk to us uh, about that a little bit more. But you are still 
uh, at Chris on Racing on Twitter. That is me. Yeah, and on people. Instagram, if you want my what's more going on personal life. Yeah, what's going on over on your Instagram? Is it all pouty selfies? What, what's what's happening there? No, it's all cat pictures, right? Um, of, okay. of little Wren, um, and I, there's a photo from last night. It was my dad's fiftieth do last night. Ooh, fifty! And he uh, he got a MotoGP cake. Wait, I took is, a picture of that. Is trumpets older than your dad? Yeah. Wow. Okay. Like your did, your... did your dad turn fifty? You said. Yeah. 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 I'm 50 as well. I could be your dad, Chris. Yeah, we could we could <laughs> all be that? we could all technically be Chris's dad. Uh, but Chris, <laughs> uh, the reason I love having you on here is there's not just your your stunning good looks. It is no. because you always have your finger on the pulse of of news in in Formula 1 and and I I absolutely love going to you to hear the drumbeat. I don't put my ear to the ground. I put my ear to Chris Stevens. How likely is this uh, uh, McLaren Audi stuff? McLaren Audi is an interesting one. I am convinced that the VW group in some shape or form will enter Formula One with the new engine regulations. Okay, new question. Sorry, newbie question. What is the VW group? Well, so VW owns a number of manufacturers, including Audi and Porsche, and they are the two big names linked to joining Formula One in 2026 or you know whenever the new engine regulations come into that is ages effect. away okay yeah and and or well it won't happen earlier because what would be the point um but the um the decision ultimately is vw's because they own both of those companies so either one of those two could come in and partner with red bull or partner with mclaren we don't know what really their long-term engine plans are red bull have said oh we're gonna have yeah red bull technology is gonna create powertrains and, and power units and we've still got a little bit of help from honda no, hang on the... that's that's not honda that's a tag hoyer they're running a tag hoyer engine oh god you remember oh, they yeah. did that? <laughs> i love that they said you're running this it was a press conference and uh, christian horner got asked about the troubles with the renault engine so uh, no actually this is a tag hoyer engine and and there's that there's a bit of that tag hoyer vibe when they talk about red bull powertrains so i know a lot of people are curious as to how much this really is a red bull powertrains or how much it is a rebadged honda power unit i know that's a bit of a diversion but what do you think about that I well, Honda in the short term are still going to be lending a little bit of help to by building Red Bull. and designing it. Yeah, but uh, is it, are they still slapping their name on it? I don't think they are. No. Um. So that's uh, yeah, that kind of makes very little commercial <laughs> sense. Um. But it's it is what they is what they agreed. I don't know the full story. Uh, Matt, so I, I think Matt I might want to just just chip in on that briefly. I'll go on. Well, I was just going to add the detail. If what I've read uh, was correct, I believe that they're not actually going to be uh, making the power units at Milton Keynes anymore. That, that, that Honda, they will be made and then delivered to Red Bull, but not by Honda, by the former HPD staff that Red Bull now pays. Yeah. So uh, Red Bull money, basically. Yeah. Uh, the I I think it's it's very likely that they will come in and partner with either McLaren or Red Bull, uh, whichever one takes their fancy. So this is Audi or Audi slash Porsche? Audi, yeah, Porsche, uh, or they might even slap the VW name. I doubt it. I th- it will be either Audi or Porsche. The, the, uh, the, the problem is, Matt, I do I do feel like it's the Renault syndrome 
the, the, some executive who loves F1 and thinks it's the right way to go forward will, will have to sell a dream. They can't sell the midfield dream. They're going to have to sell the championship dream. And then when that doesn't pan out, you know, they drift off again. So how, how serious is the VW group? Or is it are we at the mercy of some motivated executives in the boardroom looking for cash, selling a well, dream? They have already dropped the MGUH for the promise of, of uh, Volkswagen involvement uh, starting in 2026. I think if you look at it from a financial point of view, Porsche is the most likely. They have more control over their own brand. They have Porsche people on the board and they have better margins than Audi. So they have more money to play with. And a partnership with Red Bull would be, you know, very much along the lines, as you say, of Tag Heuer and stuff like that, uh, where they to supply simply power units or even to properly buy into the team and be uh, a full on partner. Audi is a little more complicated, um, but I think it might be very important for McLaren for that partnership to happen long term. Don't forget uh, Audi's LMP1 success in Le Mans extremely successful don't forget porsche is currently in the gt class uh by superior car don't forget volkswagen in in rally uh i mean and they've they've uh, bred people like uh seidel and it's a very serious group and they are mercedes like in their approach to racing i think so they should not be underestimated so porsche and audi were powerhouses in the world endurance championship and at the 24 hours of le mans with their hybrid technology that's the crucial thing it's similar technology from for the 2010s they were the dominant force in that championship and now they are both heading back to le mans in the new hypercar lmdh era as well in the next 12 months so it perfectly aligns with what both brands are trying to do at the moment, which is compete in top flight motorsports with hybrid technology. And let's not forget, Porsche still has a Formula E team as well. All right. Well, let's uh, move uh, move along from the Zach Brown Diaries. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. 
In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Okay, let's go to my favorite team, Ferrari, the Scuderia... For, well, I don't know. What, what's the full name of that team these days, Chris? What do they call themselves? Scuderia Ferrari. You have to say it like that, do you? Yeah. Okay. You have okay. to put the yeah. emphasis on Anyway, with uh, Santander. <laughs> as a lifelong Ferrari fan, I, <laughs> I can't, no, sorry, I can't. Uh, <laughs> as someone who knows of Ferrari, it, it was really interesting to see the FIA Ferrari loop with the rumours about Jean Todd that were, were being promoted by Joe Sayward. They didn't seem to materialise. Joe said, yeah. That was the vibe I'm getting. It no longer seems to be true. Uh, John Todd, back to Ferrari. Firstly, is it dead? And secondly, would it be significant? Oh, I don't know if it would be dead. Is it dead? Uh, is it? I believe there's no smoke without fire. And I heard this from a lot of people um, in the paddock. There, a lot of people were saying it. So I think it certainly was possible and likely at one point whether it's still likely now, well, we'll see over the next few weeks or months mm-hmm. or so. Would it be significant in a way? Yes, because Jean Todd has had full access to, you know, what, <laughs> whatever he's wanted to as the FIA president yep. for the last 10 years and is bringing that knowledge to Ferrari if he goes. Yes, yeah, so he's like, he's Ferrari through and through. Could you remind a short, short memory to people like me and newer fans of his Ferrari history? So Jean Todd was part of the big team that was made Ferrari success in the early 2000s with Michael Schumacher, with with Ross Braun, and uh, and with Michael Schumacher, the obviously Death as Star. well. The de- so he's Darth Vader, basically. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> Ross is, is that, and he's uh, he's Tarkin. Don't forget, Jean Todd was uh, the the way he dominated Ferrari was he was the first one to actually get permission to create his own team, do things as his group wanted. And that is how he and Schumacher and Ross Braun and all those guys came to success. Chris. Well, it's the crucial thing when you when you represent a major global manufacturer in a, a sport like Formula One, for example, is to really separate the automotive from the racing side of things because that's why teams like Toyota failed because they massively underestimate how different running a a Formula One car is to making a road car. Renault, <clears throat> Renault. But it would be a bit like Ron Dennis returning to McLaren. If Ron Dennis had been the FIA president, there should be some kind of rule about this. Don't you remember, Matt? There was the Toto Wolf rule that they were talking about. They didn't want someone from Mercedes then going and being in charge of the FIA. But now we've got this full circle where, where potentially Ferrari have their Darth Vader go and be the emperor and then roll back again. It, I think it would raise questions if John Todd did that and then Ferrari suddenly went and won a championship. You'd go, oh man, this is this is Bridgestone, Tire Gate all over again. This is, it would feel odd, wouldn't it? Yeah. And I mean, look, uh, I don't think he left Ferrari entirely of his own accord. I don't believe he had great uh, relations with uh, Luca de Montezemolo when he departed. But him being FIA president for all these consecutive terms and then going back to a team has got to be way more disqualifying than Toto Wolf wanting to assume control of a commercial partnership 
to represent the business interests of Formula One because FOM doesn't theoretically have any sway over the rules and regulations. The FIA, on the other hand, makes them up and is absolutely responsible for them. So I, I and there's this problem with Budkowski going to Alpine or Renault at the time as well. He had an extra huge long gardening leave because all the team's plans crossed his desk at the FIA. I know this is a bit of a different topic, but um, I, it's um, you, no matter how much you have been the president of the FIA, you, you can't really hold any evidence that will change anything when you talk about time frames of uh, a couple of years and stuff like that. And he's an old guy. Uh, I think the, the 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 really rare part about this is the way the the president of Ferrari is is out there like dismissing it and and that the rumor came to all of this it was like you know Jay Sayward who was he was writing about it like mm-hmm. it was a certainty yeah, yeah. so the entire uh, Formula One world was knew this and then just killing it and at the same time saying things like I already have my eyes on a German team principal and it's yeah, things. And and look, whether you like or, or or loathe Joe, he does not throw things out spuriously. He does not exactly. guess. He doesn't. Exactly. Uh, he doesn't in, engage in in hyperbole. So if he says something, he absolutely believes it, and there was good reason to uh, believe it. And you, you got to wonder, Matt. You know, did did the the sort of discussion and people saying, "Oh, hang on a minute," <laughs> would that affect it? You know, maybe they're just delaying the timing of the announcement, perhaps. Maybe, but. Uh... I don't think so. I think Elkan is young. I think he is used to being in charge. And I think I think something came up, caught his attention, and he said no. And that's just going yeah. to be it. I think it was absolutely real. I think it was on. I think, like I said, something came up. He decided it was a bad idea. And all along, I mean, consider the consider what he would do for Ferrari. Yeah. He was going to be there to run political interference so Bonato could just pay attention to the race team, which is, you know, similar to the Aston story with um, getting our new people in. Let's go there next. But before people get too excited, and by people I mean me, that that Jean Toc going to Ferrari would give Ferrari an advantage and there's some conspiracy that, you know, he's set up the new rules to benefit Ferrari and then goes there. Let's not forget that there was a massive secret fuel penalty for alleged misdoings at ferrari which has effectively crippled ferrari in 2019 2020 2021 so that was a massive penalty and that was all under jean todd's watch so i think that probably lets him off the leash but uh let's go and uh let's go and pay some attention to my crack <laughs> been waiting for this banners oh i know but you'd never say it i promise i promised i would get over it last week but i'm still not over it uh matt M- mike crack michael His personal assistant ben dover no, no don't don't M- mr michael crack has taken over at aston martin you say things now yes. I, i'm just gonna yes well this is the team principle they want they've got martin whitmarsh now and happy days, they've at last got um, Fallows coming to them from Red Bull, although he's joining, I believe, in April. So too late to have any influence on sure. anything, more or less, for this season, which is, I think, what Red Bull always wanted. Um, but this is, Larry now has the team he wants. 
in charge. And, and it could be a really, really good choice. He has Formula One experience. He has experience as head of motorsport at BMW. Yeah. People say very good things about him. This could be a sidle level appointment. Well, yeah, and, and uh, Seidel, who, who came in with absolutely zero fanfare and uh, creates none, nor would purport to claim any, seems to have been doing quietly a, a great job. But maybe we can just set the scene, Chris, ju- uh, again, just for, for me or newer, uh, newer F1 fans. What is the structure at Aston Martin? Can we just go through that again, just to get it clear in my head? Where do you think we're at? It goes Stroll, Whitmarsh, right. and then Crack as team principal. Right, because okay. what Martin Whitmarsh oversees is beyond the Formula One team. Oh, okay, okay, okay. So let's compare this. Let's compare this to to to, uh, to other team structures. So what is Crack f- compared to uh, Red Bull? He's Horner. What is Crack? Yes. What, what is Crack? Matt, stop it. What is Crack compared to Mercedes? He is Toto Wolff. Well, uh, Toto Wolff isn't technically called the team principal. Right. Is he? He's got some funny title, sure. and they have a weird um, structure. But he is. He's a Seidel, he's a Horner, he's a Franz Tost, that level. He's in charge of the Formula One team. Okay, okay, Christian. I, I find it um, refreshing that we have a tendency in Formula One these days to to get personnel in such high-level uh, positions that's not like uh, paddock, uh, paddock trash. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very harsh word, but there was like a tendency maybe 15 years ago, you had to do well in the paddock to be a team. I see. Yeah. You have to be the flamboyant type. You have to, and that it's totally gone. And I, I really appreciate it and welcome it with the, all of my arms. Uh, Seidel is a good sign. Capito is a good sign. La Capito, as it's uh, apparently pronounced. Anyway, uh, and Mike Craig is as well. So I don't think it has a 100% success rate because um, was Alpine's former MotoGP boss didn't uh, last so long, if I remember rightly. But I, I agree there is a a growing trend in what seem like left field choices mm-hmm. with people like Capito and, and Seidel. And, you know, uh, Seidel especially was no schmuck. You know, we're coming in from, from Porsche. And uh, Crack has experience at Porsche as well, primarily with BMW. Uh, and you know, in charge of the, the the major motorsport programs in Formula E, which was a works effort, and the GT racing as well. He knows what it takes to work in motorsport, but he's got not a lot of time to get up to speed on a lot of things. Well, and for me, I think crucially, and this is what we were discussing with Jean Todd being between Elkan and Bonato, I think. What's going to be crucial is whether or not Whitmarsh can convince Stroll to keep his fingers out of the pie long enough for Crack to actually do the job he's been brought there to do. Because if I know one thing from watching Drive to Survive is that Larry can be a bit impatient about stuff from time to time. And if he decides to get directly involved and start making (laughs) random decisions, it can be kind of hard when you're sort of reaching peak engineering. With your team, if you know what I mean. When did we start calling Lawrence Stroll Larry? When when's that happened? Uh, today. <laughs> okay, I like I prefer Papa Stroll, but yeah. Okay, he's, Papa he's, Stroll. He's Sorry. not he's not a hands off kind of guy, is he? And, and you have to think that the line will go Papa Stroll, crack like straight to that, and that will probably on a weekend it will, will bypass Whitmarsh. So I, I really still think that my my analogy of that that um, that lower tier f- uh, soccer 
club owner who sacks the manager and suddenly goes, oh, I know, I will be the touchline manager. I still think we're in, in danger of that. Uh, don't forget that Lawrence Stroll was in Formula One before we, I mean, uh, was hey. it early 90s he started? So he he's, always I, I totally understand what you're saying and you're, you're completely right. Mm -hmm. But he's not like a newbie who's just bought his way into a Formula One team. He's been there sure. for quite some time. Oh, no, look, look, I've, I've never I've never said anything disparaging about Lawrence Stroll's involvement in motorsport. He's clearly a very passionate guy and he's he's earned through his business achievements, the kind of the the ability and the power to push his son through. But but we, you know, his son will have to be judged purely by performance. And I my only hope is he is now, he's way beyond what any other pay driver has really experienced. He's going to be in a midfield to top team at some point. He's been given way more opportunities than out and out pay drivers that we've said in the past. So all I would ask from people is that there isn't a low bar attached to his achievement. He is now a, a top-end, top-midfield driver, and his driving standards need to be assessed as such. And that would be my only kind of request in that in that matter. Chris, let, oh, sorry. Let me try just to quickly counter what I just told you, because I'm, I'm looking forward to... You're going to argue against yourself. Yeah, exactly. Okay, good, that okay. is the podcast in the future. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> uh, I'm looking forward to Otmar Schaffner uh, without a stroll. So yes, it's not yes. that I don't uh, agree with you, but because this guy will be a bit more vital, I think, in 2022. Uh, Matt's included um, a, a small um, example of Crack's ability to handle difficult situations, and that is the uh, collision between BMW's two factory drivers in only their second race uh, in Formula E. And I was actually at that race, And uh, I, I must say the situation was handled fantastically, um, not just between himself, but between the team principal, Roger Griffiths as well. Um, but it was when they got to the media afterwards, it was all happy families. We've had the discussion. We know mm. what's, what's happened and we know it's not going to happen again. And we've both fessed up to playing a, a part in something awful because they lost a one-two finish in that race. And if I were to compare it to something that happened just three races earlier in, in New York, when two Audi drivers were at each other's throats, they both gave me two completely different stories about what that was. And then I had to go to the team principal to get the truth, which was obviously somewhere in the middle. Now, those two scenarios are not you know like for like, but it's just to give you an example yeah. of, of his experience. It shows how it was it was handled. So the last word on the matter really is, uh, what's that thing called at the when you give an interview with someone and the, the name of the person comes along the bottom? Was Subtitle. It a, a, a Chiron? Subtitle. Is it a Chiron? Chiron? Chiron, yeah. The people who write the Chirons and the tickers have an amazing responsibility and power when Mr. Michael Crack is on screen, all right? Do not abuse or, or miss the opportunities. That's all I'm asking. Derek in the Chiron department, don't let me down. Okay, let's go to Alpine. Uh, Chris Stevens. We'll go, to, we'll go to you for this again. Uh, okay. Al Amprost, who we've not heard a great deal from really in F1 terms, but he has, he has been very, very active in motorsport since the end of his, his career. Uh, he has a, a child who has been prominent in Formula E. Nick? Nick Prost. Nico. Nico Prost. There we go. Yeah, but he was in the opening of it. He was he was very involved, and they did the whole Senna Prost 
with him versus Bruno. Yeah, it never really played Bruno out, Senna. did it? Yeah, but it they tried. They tried to forced. They tried to forced, yes, they forced, tried to force forced. that. Uh, but he is obviously very involved. He had his own team. He's been involved in Formula E and then been very involved in Renault. But he is, uh, uh, it seems, completely gone from the Alpine scene and has been very vocal in his leaving. Yes, I love this. He's so angry and has just decided to drag everyone down with him. And I, I live for this. It's just, it's tasty tea and gossip and spilled beans. <laughs> okay. And um, I, to, to be honest, I don't know really how much of an impact he has in that team. Because I think a lot of the time when people hire an advisor, it's more of a way just to keep someone on the, the bill. And to have a nice high profile name to occasionally do interviews, um, especially with French media. Um, so how much work he actually puts into the team, I think, was questionable. There are a few uh, ex- exclusions to that rule. Yeah, well, you do have to feel at this point that maybe Alpine hired Ferrari's former showrunner for their off season this year. Because it's been nothing but drama. And... You know, you mentioned David Davy Brivio earlier, who came and departed with barely a ripple. And really what I think we're looking at, there's two ways to interpret it. One is to go with Prost interpretation. The CEO of Alpine, uh, Laura Rossi, is, I hope I got that right, is absolutely 100% an egomaniacal, narcissistic fiend, and he's going to ruin the whole team by firing everybody who was there. And the other is that he's a competent CEO. The shift from Renault to Alpine meant putting him in charge, and he's seen what he needs to see, and he's now brought in the team that he wants to be there to do the job that they're now expected to do. In fairness, changes needed to be made because where was the progress? It was non-existent. Yeah, well, I mean, to a certain extent, you understand it because their whole theme was predicated on the new regulations which were originally going to be like what two years ago at this point they were essentially racing with a 2019 car because they kept on kicking it down the road till the new regulation showed up so that part of their lack of progress i understand but in a larger sense i go back to remembering carter saying like oh you know we just want as many people we don't care what they do and i feel like that is perhaps what the new management has sort of focused on and and is wanting to change about the culture of the team itself. There's a little bit of this advisory role that we see old Formula One drivers have in teams that could possibly be a little bit, if you take over a team and there's this old dude from the past attached to the team, I think it's it, it sounds like it's one of those scenarios where they just wanted to get rid of that large bill every year because they I mean it was nothing. But it's always in Oof. Alonso's teams we have these things. <laughs> Do you reckon you're painting this picture that Alonso's come in no, and no, uh, no. kicks stuff just, up? I'm just kidding. Also, it was I mean, uh, wild speculation. I know. I honestly, I uh, I approve of that, uh, guys. This has been a, a fantastic news segment. We've got a couple of things coming up in this show. We are going to continue our meet the panel segment where I just basically get on a Zoom call one on one with one of the Missed Apex crew and just get a little bit 
nosy. So that will be coming up shortly. But before we go, we're going to answer some of the questions in our Slack group. The first one I'm going to put to Christian Pedersen, who still refuses to have any kind of social media presence. So people can't stalk you and they can't follow you. But uh, if we're talking uh, Slack, uh, can't people... Contact yes. me through Slack. Oh, okay. So if you are in our Patreon Slack group, patreon.com forward slash mistake. I am, I think. <laughs> you, can yes, go I am. And, you can go and find him in there as well. And I'm looking forward to doing our meet the panel with you. Although I feel it, it might have to be X-rated and after dark if I get super nosy. Let's hope. So you've already admitted to one crime tonight. The, the, I have the, several. The question I'm putting to you, so it's quick fire, so it's only to you. He's from Mike Stoner in our Patreon chat group. History shows that the new regulations mean a dull year, with field spread and lots of mechanical failures, plus early signs that Mercedes will be utterly dominant. So, Christian, Mike asks you, will this be the least competitive F1 season in years? I do not agree with the premise, I must say. I do not have any indications that uh, Mercedes will be uh, uh, out-of-the-box quickest. And also, this is the first time in Formula One history that uh, they have reinvented the rules the way they've done it. So I think it's going to be a very exciting year. It's going to be around 20 less horsepower from the fuel and probably around a second slower in downforce. But when the year is over, they're going to be faster than cars from the 21. Okay, brilliant. And let's uh, let's direct our next question at Matt Dude. Rumpets at MattPT55 on Twitter. That's on the me. Twitters. And if you want to find out exactly what's in Matt's political brain, you will instantly find it on Twitter on a regular basis at MattPT55. Indeed. Yeah. Watch if, me complain about the subways. If you want to see pictures of actual trumpets, that's all you tend to post over at Facebook as well. Uh, Matt yeah. Trumpets on Facebook too. Yep. And the daughter's baking, to be fair. Mm. Uh, yes, pictures of the doors. But you're on Instagram as well. So go and search yeah. for Matt Trumpets there. Uh, and uh, let's all follow your wife as well at A Weaver Writes, an exciting and interesting individual. But also she writes books, which you can purchase to help Matt uh, fulfill his dream of owning a Ferrari and giving up trumpeting because it's the worst instrument. Uh, yeah, except mm. for all the others. Right. Okay. Yes. Three buttons, man. How hard? How, people really, how hard could it be, right? People really enjoyed our, <laughs> uh, the Meet the Panel segment with you, uh, Matt. Got lots of very positive feedback, and uh, I'm glad all the people who don't listen to Doom Scrolling and Remain Indoors got to have a little insight into into your world and your life. Yes, the, me too. The question you will be answering is from Sam Labine, also an American. Any merit, he says, to the rumors of these Honda Power units being down on power this far out? Does it even make a difference? Uh, does it even make a difference this far out? No, it'll make a difference when the last um, homologation deadline passes, which I want to say is in March. Um, beyond that, you will have a fixed internal combustion engine until 2025. So yeah, it's going to make a difference at that point. The 20 horsepower is due to the change in fuel from E5 to E10, uh, meaning there's less energy in a kilogram of fuel than there previously was because ethanol has less energy in it than mm -hmm. gasoline, because we all know that. Mm -hmm. um, Mercedes, Renault, and Ferrari have more or less, with their fuel partners, cracked this nut already. We have heard. It is understood. Yeah, maybe. I'm following all of this. But we've not heard that Honda has managed it, or not the, the artist formerly <laughs> known as Honda, 
has not yet managed it. Tag Heuer is undeclared on whether it's managed to do the 80 horsepower deficit. But they they can't be 80 horsepower down, can they? That would be ridiculous. No, No, I I think 2030 is probably more realistic. Um, And this comment comes from Marco, first of all, and comes from January 9th. Second of all, we've heard nothing since then. I think, honestly, the bigger issue is I believe that Red Bull has a bit of a 2021 hangover in terms of their 2022 preparation, which I don't see Mercedes or most of the other teams having. Right. So they will probably get there, and probably before the deadline. They generally tend to, but oh. not yet. All right, calm down. It's not tech time. This was the quick-fire end of, end of show round before I rudely hang up on you. And for you, Chris Stevens, uh, a question for you. We've already said follow you at Chris on Racing and follow your TikTok at Simple Crop Top Dances. That's the. I, no? I posted a TikTok. You posted one year. TikTok. I have one. At TikTok. Chris on Racing on TikTok? It, it, I think okay. it is, actually. Yes. There we go. So, uh, there we go. The question for you is from John Cox, who says, What kind, I love this, it's not a if, what kind of sweet backroom deal has been worked out between Mercedes and the FIA? Do you think they'll get an air, a get out of jail free card for a 22? 2022 technical infringement or Lewis gets to add one rule to the rule book. Uh, what, what do you think? What was the backdoor agreement, do you think, between the FIA and Mercedes? Well, John's one of our best defenders in uh, the Mr. Apex iRacing yes, F3 championships. Yeah, so I would uh, expect uh, him to think there is a, a, an aggressive scenario yep. brewing there. But ultimately, I think the most realistic scenario is that very little will actually happen um, maybe Mercedes get some sort of commercial reimbursement. I can't imagine anything technical happening, and ultimately we won't really hear much about it. The fact that this investigation of theirs ends on the first day of the brand-new season is a little bit convenient. It is. Yeah, it is. <laughs> Guys, uh, that's the end of our show today. Please, thank you very much to our panel, Christian Pedersen. Uh, catch him on Slack. Uh, Chris Stevens at Chris on Racing, Matt Trumpets at MattPT55. And you can always follow me as well at Spanners Ready. I mean, I am, I'm the best one. Uh, but now let's go to our segment, which is Meet the Mist Apex panel. And now it's time to introduce Chris Catman Turner. Hello, Chris. How's it going? Yeah, really good, Spanners. I mean, uh, we're recording this just after the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix, so a little bit smarting, but uh, all is good, realistically. We had a great season, so I'm happy. You're not meant to give away the peek behind the curtain that we did this two weeks in advance so that I could have Boxing Day off. You've ruined Ah. everything. Okay, in that case, yeah, um, it's uh, it's, it's been a wonderful Christmas. I've had it, spent it with my family, and it's been a beautiful, beautiful festive period. No, see, that's just a lie. What you've done there <laughs> is you've gone too far the other way to accommodate me, and this is because, and I think I'm not the only one who says this, you are genuinely the nicest member of the Missed Apex panel. That's very kind of you. I uh, I aim to please. It's a very low bar because some of them are really are turnips. Some of them are like aggressively passionate and will do anything to win a fight and be uh, aggro and um, and try and poke fun and needle people. But you you never do that. You stay out of those things. Yeah, I try and be the uh, voice of reason. 
on the panel. It gets me in less trouble that way. I often say, Catman, that you're the only grown-up on Missed Apex podcast. Uh, but look, you are such a, a mega fan of Formula One. I, I, I hope it comes across when you're on the panel because you often, not just on the show, but in normal conversation, will bring up things with like an encyclopedic memory you'd be like oh yeah but in 1997 on lap 42 uh, there there was a, a hamster on the track that made a rain delay for 45 seconds i don't know how a hamster causes a rain delay but you get my point <laughs> yeah i think it's just because f1 is my life really you know i kind of catalog events and memories in my life alongside what was happening in formula one that year so it, it just kind of all fits in it's just so much part of me that it's almost inseparable yeah and it's amazing how how for a lot of us we have to justify why are we so in love with like a sport and obviously you're not going to prioritize your work over f1 but, you know, it's always on your mind. It's the thing you check on your phone. And it's it's amazing how, you know, a sport can absorb you in that way. Yet when I see it with football people, soccer people, I like, like, Ugh, you're obsessed with soccer. But we're just as bad. Oh, if anything worse. You know, my earliest memories are of uh, of Formula One things. Um, my parents got me this this wonderful, like, DK encyclopedia from the 93 season. Uh, which shows my age a bit. Um, but it was, uh, you know, I had all sorts of things like the drivers, the teams, the rules, the physics, everything in it. And it was just, it just got me absolutely hooked into racing. Uh, okay. So were your parents into F1? Yeah. My dad is a avid Formula One fan. My mum tolerates it and she, she's, uh, she was very much a Schumacher fan. Um, and we had our own little, um, fantasy Formula One league just in our family, which I always used to organize. And my mum won it every time because she picked Schumacher and Ferrari every year. What you organized with you like were they all willing participants or were you like, no, you have to play my fantasy league? Fine, yeah. Christopher, we'll play your fantasy league. The in-laws were definitely uh, on the edge of my of my knife blade, but yeah, my mm. family enjoy it, and uh, yeah, I never ever won one. Maybe I shouldn't be admitting that as a as a panelist on a podcast. No, but hopefully you've improved since then. I want to talk about your family a little bit because I've met your your mum and dad at karting events and. To me, it seems like you come from like one of the nicest, most supportive families. Your parents are there. They're taking photos of you. They're so proud of you as if you're six when you go and do karting stuff. Yeah. Um, it has to make up for, for my lack of talent, really, because, yeah. uh, you know, I've at least got a supportive family there who can pick me up when I uh, get trounced by you. Yeah. Um, no, they've uh, they've been there the, the whole way through, and it's uh, it's really lovely to to have them by my side. And they were there when I was karting at university. Um, and actually, I came up against a certain Brad Philpot karting uh, when I was a bit younger. Why am I just learning this now? <laughs> so you have raced. Well, Brad didn't go to university. He's a dum dum like me. Yeah. So this was in the it was the Red Bull kart fight, and that Ooh. was a. Back in what 2011, I think. It yeah, was. yeah. But Brad won it. He did. Mm. I I say I came up against him. I was in the same competition as. We'll put it like that. I didn't get okay. quite as far as he did. <laughs> no, you didn't get quite as far as winning the whole thing. But you were in no. that competition as well. Okay. So let's let's talk about your your karting history a little bit then. So I'm going to assume, maybe unfairly, that that was the pinnacle of your karting career. <laughs> absolutely yeah. definitely was the pinnacle of my karting career because definitely. like i'm not being unfair to you now but i would beat you now i think in a straight fight in a cart oh you'd trounce me yeah. absolutely and uh, i think um i go about once or twice a year with mm. uh, my friends in the helmet club 
And uh, it's an awful, and it's an awful <laughs> name for a. Okay, fine. The Helmet Club. Uh, but yes, uh, you with your friend uh, Abbo and who's the other one? Yeah, uh, John O'Neill. He's uh, the he's the Ferrari suit guy. That's why I don't know his name because he turns up in a Ferrari suit <laughs> and I just scowl at him the whole time. Yeah, yeah. And and Nick is a Red Bull guy, and I for my sins own a Martini Williams race suit. It looks very good, but your mum, I'm sure, is, is not pleased that you wear a white cart suit, even though you probably wash it yourself now. Uh, but tell me about than than karting as a kid did you ever have any aspiration to do it seriously i would have loved to but uh unfortunately i had other um other priorities and and karting is an expensive game man it is you know it's uh if if you've got to be that's got to be your only thing if you're going to get anywhere in motorsport i remember going to an indoor kart track with my dad and him just looking at the prices this is in colchester and he was looking at the price he was like oh it's such a ripoff it's a pound a minute and he that was he was like aghast that like a half hour session was like 30 quid or something like that. Uh, but yeah, the price can be immediately prohibitive, uh, even though, to be fair, you come from um, a, a fairly decent stock. It, it is still a big gulp, isn't it, to like get to the stage where you have to buy a go-kart or whatever. Oh, absolutely. And it's not just the finances, which are a massive, probably the biggest hurdle, but also just the time. You know, you have to spend every single weekend and a minute practicing and going to regional races that nobody cares about just to get a name. (laughs) But I did, I did race. um, Interestingly, my dad used, my dad's company used to sponsor the McLaren team back in the 98 days. And I, um, I was a super sub on his go-karting team. Apparently Ron Dennis was meant to turn up, but he got waylaid by something. And then, and, um, and I stormed through the field and won the race. So if 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 I got picked up, I would have I would have been there. Tell me the Turner name is somewhere on a historic race car. Uh, it's not, unfortunately. Uh, he works for a company called Brocade, who used to sponsor uh, one of the Audis in um, American Le Mans series, I think, one of the Gulf liveried. So you mm, never stood a chance then. So your dad is properly no. <laughs> pan- passionate about motorsport, isn't he? So but what was he into? Oh, he, yeah, well, he loves Formula One. Uh, he took me to my first Grand Prix back in 98 at Silverstone. We oh, nice. were sat behind one of the grandstands when it was bucketing it down with rain. And we went back to the campsite and our tent had floated away. Um, but ever since then, I was hooked. We've also been to uh, about four or five Le Mans races, which I absolutely oh, wow. love. Yeah. yeah, absolutely love it. Um, I can't get enough of that place. Just if I'm going to be buried there, cremated there, everything. It's amazing. As much as I go on about tin tops, I'm jealous because my dad, and this is a bit of a confession here, it was, um, I'm so ashamed of this. He was a massive fan of Superbikes and MotoGP. So he would sit and watch that on TV. And I nearly, he tried to convert me, but I, I resisted because bikes are basically witchcraft and there's no physical way they could possibly work. Yeah, you join the light side, and I'm we're all better for it. <laughs> what's a, what's a, what's it like to go to Le Mans and uh, and experience that? Did you go for the whole event? Oh yes, yeah. so I, we go for the whole week. Um, so we watch all the practice sessions, and you know you watch in total, you know, about four full twenty four hours of of just cars on track and at all different weathers, all different times of day. You know, in the right in the middle of the night, two three in the morning, kind of sitting there in your um in your really big parker just getting cold but you're just loving it because there's just the noise and the passion of the people around you you know at three in the morning the only people who are there are people who care you know you do not get bored no was that part absolutely not so yeah yeah, as a kid i got dragged to cricket matches and we would like play like fake cricket with dice what do you do to entertain yourself uh, at le mans when it's uh, when there's a dull moment and there must be 
Oh, absolutely. You know, it's it's one of those things where it's it's not about the on-track action. The, the action is probably, you know, in the first lap when you see them blast off and then they come back for four minutes later. Um, so basically the entertainment is your baguette, your beer and your friends. And, you know, you wouldn't go to Le Mans alone. You go as a party. Mm, yes, I bet. I mean, yes, I, I did manage to go to a, a Grand Prix, F1 Grand Prix race, and I ended up on my own. Actually, it wasn't. It wasn't fun on my own, and you couldn't get a good GA spot because the second you wanted to get up and pee, someone would go and take that spot anyway. So you had to time it perfectly. Uh, but yeah, I want to get personal now. I want to get and with everyone that I'm doing this with. I want to get away from motorsport, and I want to know what you do day to day. You are, as your name would suggest, a vet. So you know, uh, trigger warning for those people listening he spends a lot of his days uh, doing that thing with a big long glove and then you go into the cow and pull stuff out that's your whole job is that i imagine i certainly used to do that first Did couple you? of years out of university yeah absolutely oh. um so i went to bristol uni um and qualified oh, from there i love met bristol. my wife at bristol as well she's uh, she's a vet too oh did you oh did you meet on the course you were on your vet course we so, did. We were we were the first week of uni couple. We were that couple, you know. So you were a nerd um, at school, then you yep. went to university, and like a girl spoke to you, so you married her. I mean, it's yep. a good choice. <laughs> uh, we know she seems lovely. Yeah, that's pretty much it. Uh, but then we moved to to Devon and started in mixed practice. So I was dealing with horses, cows, you name it, llamas, everything. Um, but <laughs> then, uh... okay. <laughs> so this is you like know. like for like commercial sites. So like a, a farmer or whatever would bring his. Cow. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So at three at three in the morning, uh, you get a call, and he'd say, "You know, come out and help me lamb my sheep." And I realised that mixed practice wasn't for me when I had to. Uh, I asked for some water and uh, like a bucket of water, and he, he brought me this bucket with a, an inch thick ice on the top, and I had to punch through the ice to get to the water. <laughs> at that point, I realised that I'm a fancy pants uh, guy who likes uh, small animal comforts uh, in London. So that's where I moved. Um, and now I run a award-winning clinic in South London. Oh, slip the award-winning in there. What was the <laughs> award for? Because if it's like best reception area, then that's that's not as good as say no. saving the most kittens. <laughs> so we um, we are a, a big hospital in the south of London, and we there's a thing in the veterinary world called the Practice Standards Awards, uh, and there are four awards that you can get, and only. At the time we got all four, um, there was only about 10 practices in the whole of the UK who had them. Oh, that's uh, good. Like a Michelin yeah. star, but Pretty for much. like yeah. cats and dogs. Michelin star for first uh, opinion practices, yes. So we're, and we're and sitting you, at that you run the practice. Is it is it your practice? I don't, is that how vets work? So it, that used to be how vets work. Uh, we're now part of a corporate uh, business. So there's a, a big group of us around the country who... Um, kind of all club together and share resources and share means that sort of thing but um we kind of run ourselves as an independent um you know we're not branded all the same we all um we're all the same people doing all the same work still you know caring for your pets just as you would do yeah and i suppose you can't call it Catman's thing because everyone's something like that so what what do you call it you got a snazzy tell me it's a pun tell me it's a pun I wish it was. Unfortunately, <laughs> it's it's. I didn't come up with this, but it's it's a um. It's called Maven Vets, oh. and it's Maven means expert in your field. It's oh. come up by a, a PR guy, probably like artisan or something like yeah, that. Oh, I exactly. like that Maven Vets. And uh, okay, so when I I accidentally tell people sometimes that I used to be a floor layer, it's a big mistake. I never tell people because they always want me to do their kitchen or whatever. 
since we've known you, I think me and Brad in particular, every time there's something wrong with little snuffles, Catman, he's limping. What's wrong? What should we do? Yeah, I get that from the Slack group as well. So <laughs> just get it absolutely everywhere. But I love it. You know, any any way I can help people is is what I tend to do. Oh. Uh, I just, you know, I can't help but give my time. How hands-on are you now? Because you're kind of like a boss guy. Are you are you there giving pills to kittens? Yeah, most of the time. Absolutely. Um, I, I, I still um, have to deal with all of the, the day-to-day grind as well as looking after all the people and and you know making all the big decisions yeah it's uh it's it's hard to split my time because i do love getting my hands dirty you know and mm. doing the surgery and meeting the clients and stuff it's all yeah you know, what i got into vetting for yeah not maths but, or accounting yeah yeah well that's fascinating dealing with all that stuff too you know oh brilliant and obviously there's a there's a kind of a, a sadder side to vet stuff like when you have to put down a kitten and there's a six-year-old yeah. going will it go to cat heaven and you have to say no all heavens are lies <laughs> the uh there's there's one thing that a lot of people seem to use called the rainbow bridge i'm not sure i uh, subscribe to that, oh, what's thing, that? But so, oh it's just um when people try and explain uh death in pets to to kids they they say they cross the rainbow bridge and they're over the other side on an oh, island somewhere okay. i don't really understand it myself but okay. um you know it's it's it is a really tricky part of being a vet but the the thing is you know i see them as part of the family so oh, they, you know, it's annoyingly they are part of the family i resisted at getting our cats but <laughs> like my little my little black cat my wife's black cat just follows me everywhere it's just my shadow and the black cat i've got like an abusive relationship with where you know like i'm constantly vying for his love and he dishes it out in very like a like a sadist like a sociopath he dishes it out into very little portions and i think oh we're getting there and then he takes it away it's always on their terms isn't it it's always they kind of you know, sit on your lap and then bite you when they've had <laughs> enough okay last question what do you hate from punters coming into the vet store i don't know what vets are called what do i hate oh yeah well, how really how can question. i avoid annoying our veterinarian oh i guess it's called a veterinarian yeah yeah um uh, what I find fascinating sometimes is the Wikipediatricians or the uh, <laughs> yes. consulting Dr. Google. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, people seem to get fixated on something with the symptoms that they have. Now, it's the, I think the, the struggle is trying to convince people that it's not necessarily got cancer when it you know, when they've read up, you know, the internet always says it's got cancer, regardless of what the symptoms are. And it's just trying to bring people around. It's not always that. Yeah. Um, but I do, you know, it, it's, it's always a really nice thing to see people invested in their pets. I bet. Why don't you put a sign in your reception that says, you are not a vet, we are, please take <laughs> heed, something like that. Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, it's, um, you know, people's healthcare and of their pets is, is a really s- stressful thing for a lot of people um and so you know it does um it does take its toll on you when you're having to you know not only look after the pet but most of my job is looking after the people and uh, you know i i love i love that part of it but it, it does take its toll oh you're all hot anyway i've been <laughs> doing podcasts on and off with you since 2015 2016 yeah well you were how i got my start in mm. uh in journalism really oh i uh, see Lord um yeah, well, my friend, um, I was doing blogs on my Facebook page and ranting to my friends, and he bought me a website and then said, look, well, now you have to do something with it. 
Uh, so I put it out there and then I got swooped up by the website that was hosting your podcast at the time. Oh, we shan't mention. We shan't mention the, which <laughs> site it was. Uh, but do you think you will continue being a Missed Apex panellist? Is it worth it? Absolutely love it. I, I, you, you're going to have to you know, drag me away with <laughs> kicking and screaming if you don't want to get rid of me. We've what tried. I love about Missed Apex, just the, the kind of community spirit of it all. Yeah, we built up this amazing fan base, this amazing community that we just... Yeah, it, it's, it's wonderful to interact with and it's it kind of elevates that experience of watching formula one when you got you know thousands of people to share it with we found our own little corner of the f1 media space haven't we to share with uh an ever increasing amount of friends and uh, and i'm glad that you're part of it and you will continue to be chris catman turner at catman f1 thanks for dropping into the shed my pleasure thank you spanners <laughs> And we're back live. And I hope you're enjoying those Meet the Panel segments. We, we put them at the end of the show and they are extra. So if you're not enjoying them, do feel free to skip past. But my main aim is that I, I want you guys to know the panelists as, as more than just a drop in. I kind of I want to get you to know them the way I know them as well. And, and Catman is, is someone who's been in and around Mist Apex. I, I think it is actually since 2015. So we're talking getting on seven years here uh, and is always a delight at Missed Apex events as well. And and I've actually really tried hard to make him much more of a close personal friend, but he insists on, uh, on, on living far away and just, uh, you know, we both have very busy lives, but that is a a fundamental aim for 2022 is to get to know Chris Catman Turner a bit better. And, uh, and I hope you've had the chance to get him uh, to get to know him a bit better as well. And uh, we'll be doing all, uh, we'll be doing loads of these, with the Missed Apex panel all throughout the pre-season, which isn't very long. I was looking at the schedule the other day, and uh, there are car launches for late February. There's tests in uh, in early March. So before we know it, we are going to be full on with the Formula One season. And uh, and I, I, I have to admit, I did wonder how hard it would be for me to get excited about the F1 season again. And it, it, But it's starting to build, and... Yes, there is a lot of bitterness about the end of last season, but there is always another season. It is just starting to build. No, I'm not going to drop my anger about certain things, especially Abu Dhabi, but actually stuff that happened all throughout the uh, 2021 season. But that will be a part of Formula One history. That will still be part of the sport I love. And and no one thing, no one season is going to diminish my love for Formula One, and there, there will be an ever-increasing burn in my heart to enjoy this 2022 season. If I survive the Death Star of Ferrari in the late, in the, let's say, turn of the century, then I can survive this. So I hope you'll be with Miss Apex for this off-season journey. Uh, we'll be back with you next Sunday. Until then, work hard, be kind, and have fun. This is Miss Apex Podcast. Selling a little? 
or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. quince.com slash style.